All right, here we go. This is a next episode of the Non-Victim Nation podcast. I am here with Mike Simpson, who is the owner of Arizona Tactical Adventures. And I know that there's uh, some history around the company, and you also have like another company that you run alongside that. So rather than me try to explain it, I just let you explain it. <laughs> yes. So uh, I've been in the tactical training, security consulting um, kind of space for 20 years now on mm -hmm. my own. And uh, it started way back in about 2003 with my first company, Phoenix International Security Group. Uh, when the global war on terror had just kicked off, I was doing a lot of uh, entry control point training, uh, threat assessment, security consulting, and kind of emergency response training, primarily for government agencies, uh, state agencies, military units. And so that went, that went on for about 15 years, I had wow. a chance to travel through most of the states, work in a, a lot of the US and in about 17 other countries around the world. Um, right about 2010, uh, there was a big run on guns and ammo because of President Obama's love of firearms, so to speak. <laughs> and so he right. was one of the best gun salesmen that, uh, that, that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And with that large influx of gun owners, um, I was getting a lot of requests from people that I knew uh, to conduct tactical training. At the time, I was actually using Airsoft as a training tool and mm -hmm. as a recreational activity to hold military simulation adventures. And so I kind of blended the two and my brothers and I bought this property, about 40 acres, about an hour west of Phoenix that was called the Urban Assault Course. And that's where we formed up a new company called Marauders Tactical Training. And I ran that until about 2020, about two years ago. So mm -hmm. Marauders Tactical Training blended the use of non-lethal training munitions, airsoft, UTM, into these tactical scenarios or adventures. Mm -hmm. We had a great time. So I was at the same time doing security consulting for the government. And I was starting to do a lot of civilian tactical training just because of so many new firearm owners. And a lot of people were concerned about a potential financial collapse. You know, they didn't know anything about pandemics at the time, but they were worried about, you know, what happens if the banks collapse and there's civil unrest, we need to, to be able to protect ourselves. And so Marauders Tactical Training ran pretty successfully for about 10 years. We did a lot of local programs. And a couple years ago in 2020, uh, to be, right before the pandemic, I decided to shift to a tactical tourism model. And that's where Arizona Tactical Adventures was born, mm -hmm. where I recognize a lot of people have lost interest in education. They would rather be entertained. And so I decided right. to blend education education with that entertainment into a tourism model. And mm -hmm. so I secretly am training a lot of people that think they came in to have a lot of fun. And by having that great time, they recognize, wow, you know, I too can learn about self-defense, preparation, team tactics, have a good time while I'm doing it, but actually build valuable skill sets that can serve me for a lifetime for protection of self, my family, or the community. And so Arizona Tactical Adventures is my latest project. So right now I do have Phoenix International Security Group still exists, mm -hmm. but let's just say the government and I are at odds at what liberties and uh, our our country actually represents. So I'm not, I don't feel like doing much work for them at the present time. I got you. And so subsequently, most of my work revolves around tactical tourism, about 90% of that. Mm -hmm. And then about 10% is locals in the Phoenix area that want to do some serious training. So, mm -hmm. you know, Marauders doesn't exist anymore, but that Marauders mindset and training, especially at those lower costs, still is going strong. Right. 
And then we also have the Tactical Tiki. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. the latest project that uh, I started up a few months ago. Mm -hmm. And the Tactical Tiki is a lifestyle brand that allows us to bring a little bit of paradise to the suck. Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, it was a great way to blend my love of Polynesian pop right. and tactical stuff. So it allows us some more lighthearted events. Uh -huh. And the great thing about it is any Tactical Tiki event, you can show up free if you own any Tactical Tiki merchandise. Uh -huh or if you just wear a Hawaiian shirt. So I've committed to doing one free event per month. As a matter of fact, on uh, June 18th, I'm running a free pistol class over at Ben Avery, and it's legitimately free. Normally it would cost you about 149 to get into, but you wear a Hawaiian shirt, pre-register through the tacticaltiki.com, and you can actually attend a class absolutely for free. So last month, uh, well this month, May, we did a free four hour medical class, tactical uh -huh. combat casualty care. Um, we had eight people show up. So yeah, I love the tactical tiki. It allows me to write off a lot of my Polynesian uh, decorations <laughs> that we have here at Site Alpha right. uh, that normally I'd spend a lot of money on, but it's yeah. part of the business. So yeah, yeah, the Tactical Tiki is a fun, fun side project I've got going. Yeah. I liked it because uh, I did one of the events kind of like, this was probably about four or five months ago. Um, and it was kind of a combination of like shooting and, and uh, calisthenic sort of exercises. So you were doing yeah. like push-ups and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. and squats. Was that the indoor one or was that, that at that the outdoor at range? Yeah. So yeah, that's the, uh, sorry, that's the Aloha pistol. Okay. So that's kind of a fun individual and paired movie shoot obstacle uh -huh. course. You know, some light workouts along with some movie shoot uh, on steel targets. And right. So yeah, it's it's a good time, especially mm -hmm. when you've got the Hawaiian music playing and the tiki's out there. It's 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 a little different. So, right. Yeah. We yeah. don't take ourselves too too seriously on tactical tiki days. That's awesome. Um, and so I don't recall, were you actually in the military or you just trained with the military? No. So I was in the, the air force, uh, from 95 to 99, mm -hmm. uh, I was air force security forces. So, you oh, know, okay. uh, the air force police officer, and I was primarily based up at McClellan air force base near Sacramento, California. Mm -hmm. And it was a great four years. I learned a lot. Uh, I quickly learned that I could make a lot more money and have a bigger difference, make a bigger difference serving in the private sector. Mm -hmm. I was on a deployment out to Kuwait and I met some contractors that were doing some security system installations and they were making about 30 grand to be there for 30 days. Wow. And I was making about $4,000 per month and I had to be there for at least five to six months if we didn't get extended. And mm -hmm. I realized I'm on the wrong side of this equation. <laughs> and so right. that's that's what, what uh, encouraged me to seek my fortunes elsewhere. So I uh, spent four years as Air Force Security Forces. I jokingly tell people I learned a lot then, but I don't use most of what I learned back then as the tactics or the principles. There were some good general ideas, but uh, most of the stuff that I'm teaching now comes from modern doctrine, from cross-training with a lot of different units, agencies, uh, and individuals that have been doing it differently from what I learned in the military. I gotcha. Um, and so, Early on, like when, when you were getting people to come to the events and training and things like that, was it a lot of military, law enforcement, civilians? You know, here's the thing is most of the law enforcement and military guys get access to paid training where they'll get to show up and attend some courses. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, because they're so busy doing their job, they're going to do the minimal that's required. Uh, you know, hey, I'm required to go and shoot this amount of times. That's what they're going to do. And so most of the time, they don't have the money or the time to go seek outside training, whereas civilians uh, really have the desire and a lot of times they have a lot more funds. So 
I would say close to 95% of the people when I first started doing the tactical training were all civilians. Some were veterans, but I would say the large majority had never had any law enforcement or military experience. Mm -hmm. They'd all been to the shooting range or like to go out to the desert and you know shoot stuff and mm -hmm. kind of uh, test out those YouTube skills that they might pick up <laughs> uh, by watching some videos. Right. Uh, you know, and it's not bad, but without you know, I, I jokingly tell people, YouTube, um, you know, it has a lot of useful information but those guys aren't out there coaching you when you're doing it. So you, it's right. almost like telling your kids, hey, watch these videos, and that's just as good as going to school. There's no need to go to school. Well, that's kind of what's happening now uh, right. since the pandemic. But, you know, so I, I really don't encourage people should have somebody who, who can demonstrate the skill, perform the skill, and then coach them out there with them when they're on the range. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're just building bad habits. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really recommend it. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, yeah, 95% of the people that uh, I've, I've been training over the past kind of uh, 13 years since about 2010 have mostly been civilians. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of them have just built some amazing skill sets because they've been training with me for five to seven years. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot, the average person will spend about two years training with me and then they have a life uh, event where they have a kid, they get married, they get a new job, they move, and they just can't put the time into that, that program that mm -hmm. they had kind of started off. Right. Um, have you ever had like people who kind of sort of came to the events on the civilian side that were interested, but almost, I guess, reluctant is a good word for it, meaning that there's maybe some part of them that is, is not necessarily all in on the, on the idea of uh, having guns and, and using firearms and, and those sorts of things? Yeah, you know, um, one of the one of the lectures that I kind of explain in terms of the mindset is most civilizations have classes of people, whether people want to acknowledge this or not. Mm -hmm. History is history, and our our current civilization is no different. You know, as Americans, we decided to get rid of the aristocracy mm -hmm. and the clergy as being above most citizens. Right, and so you know. We basically, at the top of our civilization, is actually the warrior and the warrior culture, warrior mindset. Because mm -hmm. I tell people, without warriors providing security and safety, you can't have a civilization. Right. None of the other classes within that civilization can do their job if your civilization is under attack, as a lot mm -hmm. of countries discover very rapidly. You know, there's a lot of people doing experiments where we don't need our warrior class and they're. They're very surprised when their cities are mired in filth and crime and destruction mm -hmm. because this lofty experiment has gotten rid of that warrior class. So under the warrior class, the next most important group of people are the artisans. These are the scientists, the doctors, the lawyers, the artisans, the philosophers, because they take that safety and that security that's provided by those warriors and they're able to craft a civilization based upon their ideals. And not all civilizations are gonna work well or you know, uh, work equally well. Right. And so people discover like those ideas that you create safety and security to explore uh, will determine how well that civilization works. So those artisans that exist are very important because if they get bad ideas, uh, it falls apart very rapidly. Right. Uh, under the artisan class is actually the farmer class because you have to feed that civilization. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm always interested when I talk to young people, where does food come from? They're like the supermarket, well, where do they get it from? <laughs> I, I don't I don't right. know like he comes in yeah. on a truck well where does the truck get it yeah. from and they, they're kind of stumped because nobody wants to be a farmer anymore but growing food is actually a really important necessity and so those farmers 
take the ideas provided by agriculture and the manufacturers of those machines that have built up all this technology and they can now feed a nation. Mm -hmm. Then you have the merchants that trade those ideas created by the artisans and the food created by the farmers and the merchants create goods and services and because there's safety and security they can then trade with other people or other countries. And then on the lowest class, you have the servant class who really work for the other classes there. Mm -hmm. And in the United States, unfortunately, most people don't realize this is one of the few civilizations that you can choose to be any of the classes. You can mm -hmm. be multiple classes. You can be a warrior merchant. I like to consider myself a warrior artisan merchant. Okay. I'm not really into the farming side of the business, uh, but most people choose to become servants of others. Most civilizations throughout history have never allowed their servants to be armed. The American experiment is one of the only civilizations through the Second Amendment that has allowed all of their classes to be armed. Mm -hmm. All other civilizations that have an aristocracy or a clergy restrict weapons to the warriors that are in service for their ideals, mm -hmm. and therefore they control those countries through a dictatorship or through communism or something else. So mm -hmm. we have a very unique civilization that I'm not sure how long it'll last, but I'm very happy to be living through it at this time right. uh, because it's still really exciting to see that there's so much opportunity here. Yeah, so right. that's kind of my point. Um, long way of getting around it. The people that don't want to participate is because they're not actually part of a warrior class. They're not warrior mindset. Mm -hmm. They're one of the other classes. They decided to explore it for a day and they mm -hmm. discover that warrior path, warrior mindset, warrior culture is not for them. And that's okay because we need those artisans. Mm -hmm. We need merchants. We need farmers. And we do need servants because somebody's got to fix my air conditioning. Yeah, right. So, and I have to imagine that there's kind of like another subset of that group that is, this wasn't their idea. They kind of got dragged here. And then once they get here, they realize, hey, this is pretty cool. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, we, we, I, I jokingly tell people it's usually a wife or a girlfriend that has to accompany their husband or right. boyfriend. And at the beginning of the day, you know, uh, just today I had a, uh, a young lady that I asked her, I'm like, at the beginning of the day, how'd you feel about it? Scale of one to 10 uh, in terms of nervousness. She said, I was at an 11. At the conclusion of the program, I asked her, now, what do you, what do you think? How do you feel about the event? How much did you like it? She said, a 10. I never thought I could learn so much and feel so much more confident with a firearm mm -hmm. as I did afterwards. And that was just a three hour event. So it's really re rewarding to mm -hmm. see those people that didn't want to have anything to do with it uh, in that short period of time, look like they're enjoying themselves, but more importantly, learning a skill set that they can use to protect themselves or their family. Right. So I remember the way that I was introduced to you originally was uh, my son Hunter, uh, as a Father's Day gift, uh, set up an appointment for us to do to do the. I don't remember exactly what the name of the course was. It, it wasn't the night vision one. It was. It was probably uh, the shoot house. Yeah, the shoot house. Okay. Yeah. So you, you um, had a chance to do some door breaching and right. throw flashbangs and clear rooms. Yeah. yeah. And so you know he said, "Hey, we're going to go do this thing," and I had no idea what we were doing, what mm -hmm. we were walking into. So it was really exciting. I had my buddy Nicholas, who uh, also works in corrections with me, um, because we needed a third person. Yeah. For the fire team, and. You know, we got here and we got to put on the gear. We put on like the, the the uniforms, and you know, so we were like in uniform together. Yep. You know, and like kind of go through those processes of like you're going to breach the door, we're going to like take the rooms, you sure. know, clear, and then it was it was really a cool progression because we we got to feel like we're like in the moment of where we're doing all this stuff. He had like really awesome like uh, John Wick music playing. Yep. Yeah. You know, so I, it was just really exciting and really entertaining all at the same time. And yeah. it's. 
what I discovered is people want experiences. They want to create memories with their friends and their family. And when I shifted away from the tactical training, I recognized by taking some of the best elements from training, I could create these adventures mm -hmm. that would allow somebody to step into the role of a warrior without making that full commitment to an eight hour day or to a lifestyle, allow them to explore that in a fun and educational environment and allow them to discover that love for that on their own or just have a good time and create some fun memories. And so the last couple of years have been so much more financially rewarding uh, emotionally rewarding to see people just having a great time mm -hmm. and then more importantly want to change their lifestyle and add that warrior culture or warrior mindset into their life or to their family's life so yeah that it, it's fun to use those little adventures to introduce people to a whole different way of doing things that maybe they haven't had the chance to experience because honestly a lot of things Arizona Tactical Adventures does aren't available to the general public in a lot of places. One mm -hmm. of the most common things I hear is people who are traveling in from other states, they say, we don't have anything like this. Right. And my closest competitors are in California or Las Vegas, and they charge anywhere from two to five times what I charge to do the same things. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I do it a lot better than them. I'll just, <laughs> right. you know, I like to say I run a five-star company and there's a reason for that. Yeah. I've been doing it for a long time. Uh -huh. So, you know, I, I'll brag a little bit about that. But, mm -hmm. you know, when people discover this is affordable, it's local, and it's so much fun and educational, mm -hmm. they, they see a different way of doing things rather than that, hey, we're going to do an eight-hour class, 400 rounds, and it's very intimidating because you've never done something like that. So a two- to three-hour experience that allows you to experience that for your very first time is much more forgiving, and you're more likely to want to do something like that again rather than feel like you're the odd person there and you right. really don't belong there. It's, mm -hmm. it's sometimes a very intimidating environment. Yeah. And so going back to something you said earlier, like the people who, who watch these things uh, in movies, uh, TV shows, and YouTube, and those sorts of things, and they've got this idea in their head that it's like, oh, yeah, I could do that, you know? And on some level, they can, you know, you know, if I said, here's the gun pointed that way and shoot, yes, you could do that, right? Yeah. Can you, can you clear a room effectively and not get hit by somebody who's hiding on a corner? You know, as we were going through that, that initial thing, I remember that you would sort of like ramp things up. You would like change the structure of like where the doors were and things like that. And then like you would gradually like add in other things. So we'd go through the scenario and at the end of it and say, so who saw this tripwire here? Yeah. Or who saw, you know, like something else that was like in our you know, civilian mindset, we're not looking for those things. Sure. So you realize that there are a whole other host of things that can be there that you're not prepared for. It's not as simple as just, I got the gun, I'm ready to go. Yeah. You know, it's creating the opportunity uh, for learning by doing the plus one. I give you the opportunity to learn something new. Mm -hmm. and not tell you the new thing that's going to come up, just add plus one. And by experiencing it and potentially experiencing failure, it's going to be a lot better lesson. And I think, you know, a lot of times people don't give adults, especially in the United States, as much credit as they do in terms of how fast they can learn. They want to spoon feed people. You have to take the level one class before you can do room clearing. Oh, before we do low light, you have to take the level two class. Somebody says, I don't have two days plus $1,200 to do this. But in the shoe house, you'll get to experience low light tactics on your very first time. And by going through that scenario where you hit a tripwire and it goes off and you realize it would have killed two or three of your team members, 
that plus one moment allows you to say, wow, there's so much more that I don't know about this that I'm not ready for, mm -hmm. that it gives them an appreciation of the actual amount of time that law enforcement and military personnel have to dedicate to do these things efficiently. You'll never get it perfectly. The enemy and the environment obviously gets a vote. Mm -hmm. You know, It's better to be lucky than to be good sometimes. But in that moment where they've had a failure or they've had a success that they lucked into, it gives them a deeper appreciation for how much goes into this and it allows them to question themselves, do I want to explore that path? Mm -hmm. Is that something I want to take upon myself or was this just a nice tourist visit? The mm -hmm. large majority of the people just want to take a look into that environment, mm -hmm. say that's way too toxic and dangerous for me. <laughs> now I appreciate right. the safety and security provided by these people. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a great experience to watch that unfold on a daily basis for myself. Right. Uh, so there's, I know that we have your, um, sort of like the advanced group that that you train with that, that have decided that they want to make this a, a full time not a full-time thing but they sure, they want to continue on you know with this sort of training and then they do much more advanced things right um so of those people have any of them ever had to put these things into practice yeah i've, I've had several members that you know the it usually goes like this i'll mm -hmm. get a phone call from a name that's one of our members. So we run member programs, mm -hmm. not just the, the tourist is 90% of our business, but those local members that get an opportunity to train just about every weekend with me once or twice, depending on what the weather is. When the weather's good, everybody wants to train multiple times. Right Now as it's getting warmer, I see less and less, but um, I'll usually see a phone call come in from somebody mm -hmm. and it goes like something like this, like, Mike, you're not gonna believe what happened. Mm -hmm. I usually tell them, I will, because you're about to tell me, so that's okay. <laughs> Right. It'll be something like, you know, I was driving along and there was a car crash in front of me. I pulled over to see if I could help and I saw a lady whose hand was amputated at the wrist. And because I carried my tourniquet on me, mm -hmm. I was able to save her life by applying it. Mm -hmm. and, you know, in that, that moment, it'll give me some chills because I know there's been a direct impact on somebody that I never would have been there to help them. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I was playing tennis at a public park and I saw a woman being beaten. You know, I grabbed my bag that had my medical kit and my firearm, and I started threatening the guy, hey, leave her alone, challenging him, and the subject grabs a bat out of his car and starts approaching this woman on the ground, so I had to point my weapon and challenge him. Subject drops the bat and runs the way. You know, did I do the right thing? And so when I hear those stories, I know that I'm having a good impact, that I'm making a difference for those members because mm -hmm. it's a force multiplier. I take my knowledge and experience. I give people the opportunity to explore what's right for them in terms of their commitment. I'm not mm -hmm. telling people go out and find trouble. Right. Uh, <laughs> it'll find you eventually. Yeah. But how are you going to choose to react? Will you stand by and let somebody else be a victim? Or will you step in and fill that gap? Most of the time, there isn't something that unfolds into a shooting because these individuals understand how to communicate, how to present themselves that this attacker is going to leave the earth today if they continue that, mm -hmm. uh, or they're able to save somebody without discharging a firearm. And that's the thing that I'm really proud of is we don't encourage mm -hmm. the use of deadly force. Right. It's a tool of last resort. We want people to be able to recognize the pre-attack indicators and be able to contact and control those subjects, de-escalate it, and present 
that possible use of force so that way that subject can make a decision a good decision to surrender and submit or to flee that scene and mm -hmm. be caught by law enforcement down the road mm -hmm. so you know I, I am very pleased to get those calls when they do come in or hear a story from them when they come to a class and say like and it always starts off you're not gonna believe this yeah like okay well tell me you know? yeah now there are a few guys that I don't believe their stories, but it has nothing to do with me. <laughs> it's, I shot a hole through this quarter at a thousand yards. I'm like, that is a perfectly drilled hole. I don't believe that. That's yeah. not how that works. Right. But you know, they, 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 those are the stories I don't believe. Yet. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that like I've talked about in other episodes of the podcast is that there's the idea. Most people have an idea in their head of what they're capable of, right? You know, most people think that if it comes right down to it and they get into a physical altercation with somebody, they can handle themselves, you know. They have had fights in the past. They've they've trained for different things, you know, and they, they've got, like I said, a, a pretty clear vision of like, yeah, I can I can take this guy or I can defend myself, sure. right? And and like I said multiple times, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's the same sort of thing with this with this training and why I think this is so valuable for people is like you don't understand what you don't know until you until you're hit in the face with it mm -hmm. you know and I'm sure that going through this you, you run into that a lot especially people doing like the room clearing and things like that yeah so the, the most common place I experience this is um, I'll do marketing at gun shows and one mm -hmm. you know I like to ask questions to people hey what kind of shooting do you do mm -hmm. I go out to the range you know insert once a week once a month once a year mm-hmm have you ever done any tactical training or scenario-based training? No, I haven't. If you left here and in the next hour were engaged in a deadly force confrontation, how well do you think you would do? And the answer is, oh, I think I would do just fine. And, you know, I talk a lot about the four levels of mastery, unconscious incompetence. Mm -hmm. Those individuals are at the lowest level. They don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. Conversely, if I ask a woman those same questions at a gun show, the majority of the time women are at the next level of mastery, conscious incompetence. They'll say, yeah, I don't go to the range very often and I've never been through any classes. And if something like that happened, I probably wouldn't do as well as I would hope to. And I say, congratulations, you know a lot more than your husband or boyfriend <laughs> typically, because they're like shocked. Right. Like, yeah. I, I took you up to the range that one time. You know how to shoot. Yeah. And she usually says something like, honey, I really wouldn't know how I would do in that situation. Yeah. And so it is that until somebody, you know, and that's the great thing about in our training programs, we use non-lethal training munitions. Uh, some of our classes, we put a hood over your head so you can't see what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. When the hood comes up, guy rushes you with a knife. Somebody's pointing a firearm. Somebody's on the ground being beaten up. There's an active shooter in a building. And you won't know until that moment what happens. And most people don't realize there's five human responses to a deadly force encounter. They've heard about fight and flight. So they think that they're either going to jump into that fight and solve that problem mm -hmm. or... I'm going to run away and save myself. Well, the problem is there's three others that most people have never considered. Um, the first is posturing. Hey, man, you better put down that knife or I'm, I'm going to shoot you. Mm -hmm. The entire time their gun is holstered and they're, they're moving back in fear. Yeah, that guy knows you're just posturing. Your gun's not out. You're not going to shoot him. Right. There might be submission. Hey, give me your wallet. Okay, sure. I'm going to submit and give you what you want. And then there's freezing. Uh, it is a primitive, uh, natural response that when you are overwhelmed by stimulus or fear, you'll freeze and be incapable of action. 
most of the time, I don't see people fight or flight. When that hood comes up mm -hmm. and a threat presents itself, most of the time they freeze. They don't mm -hmm. do anything at all. They posture. They'll start keeping their gun in the holster as the man is coming towards them to beat them to death or stab them. <laughs> and they say, drop the knife or you'll get shot, which they can't. They're posturing. Right. Um, or they submit. They just basically hand over their car keys or their wallet or their cell phone. And then the subject leaves or the subject shoots them or beats them even though they've submitted. Um, so a lot of people have this, this misconception that fight and flight nature will kick in. And unfortunately, those three other responses are usually the predominant responses. Mm -hmm. You must go through what I call stress inoculation. Experience that fight multiple times. Right. And a lot of times people say, well, I go to the range, so I'm ready to shoot the target. The problem is you put the target there. You know when to shoot. You know that target's not actually going to attack you. That's like saying, I practice punching a bag every morning, every day. And when I get into my first cage match, I'm going to kick ass. No, you're going to get destroyed. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, but people yeah. really have that misconception because they go to a range and put holes into a piece of paper that somehow they've prepared themselves. I uh -huh. guess if they ever get attacked by a piece of paper, mm -hmm. they'll be proficient in that. But right. I personally have never been attacked by paper. Uh -huh. um, it's usually two-legged predators. Uh, so subsequently, that's what I have to simulate and train against. Yeah. And I, I genuinely tell people, until you've gone through that so many times that you're not nervous in that toxic environment of you know a confrontation where you feel comfortable in it, and mm -hmm. that's not a natural thing. You have to go through that stress inoculation the same way that you build a tolerance by taking a vaccine or being exposed to a certain amount of stress. You must spend time in that environment. And the only way to do that is mock fights. That's why people who train for fights fight other people and they spar because you've right. got to get used to getting hit, knocked down, get back up and finish that fight. And unfortunately mm -hmm. for gunfighting, most people will only think about it as a one-way range. And that's where non-lethal training munitions, things like airsoft, UTM, simunitions, mm -hmm. um, you know, to some extent, shock vests that are a new technology, too expensive to be practical. Uh, but it's imperative that if you're going to be serious about your personal safety, you have to know how you're going to respond. You have to have that awareness. It's better to know that it didn't, your plan didn't work mm -hmm. than to walk around with that preconceived notion that you'll have success when you're actually guaranteeing serious bodily injury or death to yourself or a loved one based upon that faulty premise that you've built up over the years of just going to a shooting range. Mm -hmm. So something you said in there, like was it made me think of the movie Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't remember the bad guy's name, but he uh, got a big scar on his face. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're squaring off to do some match and he pulls up a board and he like punches it in the air and breaks his board. And Bruce Lee is like as calm as could be. It's like boards don't hit back. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so there, there's two kind of points to that most of, of what you were just saying, you know, that the paper targets, just like you said, they're not going to attack you. They're not shooting back at you. Right. The other piece of this is that as a predator or a bad guy. They recognize those things. They can tell, just like the guy who was unwilling to draw his weapon, oh, you're yeah. not capable. Mm -hmm. You have not trained. You don't know what you're doing, and I am going to kill you, yeah. or I'm going to cause harm to you. We, uh, one of the things I talk about a lot is the force continuum models, the different tactical tools that you have available to uh, de-escalate or stop an attack. And the lowest level that is one of the most important is presence, mm -hmm. the ability to project that confidence that I can stop an attack or deter an attack. Somebody has to 
a predator has to be, view me as being professional and competent. If they see this individual is not competent, not professional, can't speak well, uh, panics under pressure, they recognize this person doesn't have the training. They are not up to the task. That's why they become a victim. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, predators don't hunt other predators. They will when they're fighting for territory. Right. But when they're actually seeking something to take, they're going to hunt prey. And that body language, that presence mm -hmm. is a huge determining factor whether they choose somebody as a victim. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at that force continuum model, it starts off at the lowest level of presence, verbal commands, escort techniques, low impact strike techniques, less lethal technology, high impact strike techniques, and then finally deadly force. Most people think they're going to be just fine. If I've got a gun and I've learned how to shoot, I can solve all the problems. Right. The thing is that you've put a hammer into your toolbox and expect the entire world to be nothing but nails. Right. And you've neglected every other tool and preparation to use those tools with the expectation that that hammer will solve your problems. Mm -hmm. And so I caution people. In my courses, most of the time, we focus a lot on presence verbal commands, low impact strike techniques, and deadly force. So, you know, obviously we're not doing less lethal training in a firearms class. Mm -hmm. We're not doing high impact strike techniques because it's not a Krav Maga or a Jiu Jitsu class, right. but we're covering four out of those six tools in a single course. So that's one of the things I'm very proud of is that the courses aren't just about shooting. Mm -hmm. Shooting is one fifth of combat, the five rules of combat, secure, move, shoot, communicate, sustain. If you're just focusing on shooting, you're only doing 20% of the work. And depending on what type of shooting you're doing, it may be as little as about 5 to 10% of the work that you need. If you were to look at any other subject material for any other type of educational program and said, I'm going to study 5 to 20% of the material and hope I do well in the class, <laughs> you're going to fail. Yeah, you're going to fail Plain epically. And simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so unfortunately, most schools might integrate a little bit of movement Mm -hmm. They might integrate a little bit of communication, but they're really not focusing on it. You know, when I went mm -hmm. through my first ground combat school or leadership ground combat school, they, they introduced those five concepts, secure, move, shoot, communicate, sustain. Up till that point, I had only heard about move, shoot, communicate. And I was like, oh, where'd these other two come along from? Well, as a team lead, I have to make sure that everybody is doing these other ones. Mm -hmm. And so as an instructor, all of the training that I try to do tries to integrate all five rules of combat, tries to integrate those five human responses and understand how that subject's going to behave based upon what you're choosing to present from that force continuum model, whether you're trying to deconflict through verbal commands to figure out what is their intent uh, using a contact and control, or if you're using a low impact strike technique like Tony Blauer's spear system to create space and you know fight from retention to get your firearm out. So there's a, there's a lot more that goes into to it than just shooting and quote you know that firearms defense mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's that's one of the areas that most people don't think about when they go to a class they just want to learn how to shoot and how to shoot effectively to protect mm -hmm. themselves so as another example of that like when we've gone through the shoot house before you know you'll, you'll create scenarios for us and say you know there's an active shooter here there are hostages here there's injured people here you know whatever mm -hmm. kind of thing that we're coming yeah. up with at the time and so not only do we need to be able to like effectively like clear the rooms and, and kill bad guys if there are any but we have to deal with those situations as they arise mm -hmm. right if you find somebody who's injured what are you going to do you know the gun like you said that isn't the total solution for everything that, yep. that's happening right you have to be able to know how to deal with that situation get that person to safety you know apply a tourniquet or do you know whatever medical things need to happen so there, there's more that goes into this 
than just being able to kill the bad guys. Definitely. Or just not getting shot yourself. Yeah. Mm. And and that's that's one of those things that um, you know, especially with the concern for active shooters, workplace violence, mm-hmm. um, people who don't want to own a firearm, again, that tactical tool set of presence, verbal commands, escort techniques to move subjects away. Uh, low impact strike techniques, less lethal technology, high impact strike techniques. There's a lot of ideas and technology that are available to lower the risk or the consequences. And so one of the things I encourage people to do is whether you carry a firearm or not, carry a medical kit, an individual medical kit for yourself that should consist of a tourniquet, uh, a compression bandage, some kind of hemostatic gauze. They're a little bit expensive, you know, Cellox Rapid or Quick Clot that you can plug uh, a juncture wound, mm-hmm. uh, things like on the hips or on the shoulders, an occlusive dressing. Something simple like that can save an individual's life. You know, mm-hmm. I personally have saved my life once by applying a tourniquet. I caught a ricochet on a day of training off of a steel target, a fragment from a nine millimeter bullet that was like a literal razor blade hit me in the arm, moved my arm, I felt no pain. I said, what the F? And I knew I was in trouble because I started seeing that arterial spurt of blood shoot about eight feet out. The guys that were on the range with me said that I had that tourniquet on in less than 15 seconds on my arm, mm-hmm. stop that blood flow. One of my additional team members that was there put a compression bandage on there in less than two minutes. We were at the hospital in about seven minutes, walked in. And you know when I did get to the surgeon, he said it was pretty serious. But uh, luckily for me, it's self-sealed within about two hours, so I required no additional treatment. Hmm. But the amount of blood that I was initially losing, had I not had a tourniquet or anybody else in my immediate vicinity have a tourniquet on there, I would have had to apply direct pressure to that wound. I've seen guys pass out from amputations almost instantaneously. So, you know, I feel that I kept my blood pressure up because I was able to get that thing on there. And I had done so much training to apply tourniquets I jokingly tell people I have nightmares about not being able to apply tourniquets properly. So when I wake up that day, I'm motivated to practice that stuff. And on that day, my training paid off and Mm -hmm. I suffered no serious bodily injury uh, Mm -hmm. because of that and no long-term effects. And I like to believe that, number one, I got lucky that 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 bullet fragment didn't hit me someplace more vital. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had the preparation and the equipment with me. So taking that mindset and recognize I need to practice that the day I needed it, it all worked exactly to plan. Mm -hmm. And subsequently, you know, I like to think that, uh, you know, I was lucky and prepared. So that saved myself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's one of those things that I tell people, the firearm's not necessarily the only tool. You have to have that mindset, that preparation, and then put in that effort to build that skill set so that you're not messing that stuff up under stress. Right. And on the day I needed it, um, yeah, that thing was on there quick. Uh, I remember getting it on, two hard turns of that tourniquet and seeing that blood flow completely stop and that sense of relief that I said, okay, I know what to do next and right. get that compression bandage on and start doing that tactical evacuation to get to you know the closest hospital. And because we had created that emergency plan, we talk about that emergency plan right. for years before we actually needed it. So I was actually the first guy to have to be treated under our, <laughs> our company emergency plan. Right. So uh, yeah, you know, I don't really like to test out the real world plans that often, right. but we had had that plan. We talked about it. We trained that yeah. plan. And so when that freak accident hit Mm -hmm. uh and you know i tell people i'm lucky it hit me because uh you know i can i know what i'm capable of doing Mm -hmm. and so that worked out in my favor for that day so i can tell people carry your tourniquets on you at all times 
It's a very good idea. Um, so I wanted to touch on something that you, that you mentioned earlier. Uh, there's the, I can't remember what the name of that, of the, the thought process is, but there's the levels of conscious thought. There's, and I don't remember the order they go in. There's unconsciously. So the level of mastery, levels yeah, of mastery. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So how does that go again? So, and, and again, this is just a concept. It's not my idea. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been around for a while. I, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember the original source. I'd have to look it up. But, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the lowest level of mastery would be unconscious incompetence. An individual has not been exposed to an area of deficiency in skill set or mm -hmm. information or knowledge. So, and so most of the time they, they perceive that they either know something or can do something or don't even know that this technique, technology or resource exists. You move to the next level where you become aware of deficiency and you say, I have conscious incompetence where I've now started to seek out a solution for something because mm -hmm. I recognize there's a hole in my plan. So a good example would be somebody says, you know, I've never changed a flat tire. I saw a flat tire on the road today. I don't want to be in that condition. I didn't realize that how important this is to, to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Do I have the right tools? How would I change that tire? Where somebody else will say, oh, you know what? I've got AAA, it'll be just fine. Right. Oh, okay, well, I'm hoping AAA can get out to you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm hoping there's not a lot of traffic. And, <laughs> right. you know, and so at that conscious incompetence, they start seeking solutions. Hopefully they find a solution that allows them to practice things where they now work on skill builders. And during a skill builder, we're, we're practicing um, repetition against some kind of inanimate target, whether it's applying medical uh, equipment to ourselves or we're shooting a piece of paper, but we're focused during that time on the actions. And while mm -hmm. we're in conscious competence, while we have the luxury of time and safety, and I'm thinking about that action, I'm able to perform it effectively. Mm -hmm. So I'm now at the next level of mastery, which is conscious competence. But now when you leave that training, the question becomes, do you have that fourth level of mastery, unconscious competence, mm -hmm. so that when that bullet fragment hit my arm mm -hmm. and now I see blood coming out, I don't need to think about, hey, I'm losing blood. I need to revert to my training and not think about it, get that tourniquet on as quickly and as efficiently mm -hmm. as possible. And that demonstrates unconscious competence. The ability to go into a subroutine, to use some computer speak, mm -hmm. that allows you to perform something complicated task because you've prepared it so many times during that skill builder opportunity of conscious competence that you built that muscle memory, so to speak, that allows you to successfully complete a complicated action under stress. That shows that you are unconsciously competent. And the only way to gain that is through stress inoculation. Mm -hmm. During the conscious competence training, you have to undergo the normal training, increase the stress level. Mm -hmm a higher level of stress and just keep doing the plus one, plus one. So that there are times that I've had guys rappelling out of a mock helicopter mm -hmm. that's about 30 to 40 feet off the ground, clearing out a cargo ship in the absolute dark wearing night vision in cramped spaces. And these are civilians and they feel completely comfortable of going into a claustrophobic environment, clearing out a structure in the dark, working with other people in firearms that if I were to tell the average person, number one, repel out of a helicopter 30, <laughs> right. 40 feet up, yeah. they're gonna go, but I can die doing that, correct? Yes, possible. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't wanna do that. 
Now go into this unknown confined space and hunt down bad guys as part of a team using night vision so your primary sense of sight is gone. And the only reason people can do that is because they've gone through each of those individual tasks over and over and over again mm -hmm. so that they feel completely comfortable and they're not worried about those things. They're just doing each task because they've done it so many times, they have unconscious competence. Right. So yeah, that's, that's that fourth level of mastery that uh, I, I would hope everybody would, you know, aspire to reach that in whatever their given profession is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's interesting. I have a three-year-old son, and right now watching him develop skill sets uh, about the only unconscious competence he currently has is snuggling with his mom. Like somehow when he's asleep, he does that perfectly. Like I'm like that's that's awesome to see nature in action right, right there. But everything else, he's still struggling to learn that. And as adults, a lot of times we want to avoid that discomfort. We want to be able to do everything well. Right. So unfortunately, we stick to the stuff we're good at, mm -hmm. and we don't ever explore that toxic realm of self-defense or combat training. Mm -hmm. uh, so subsequently, they never get to that unconscious competence level of mastery right yeah the first time i ever heard about that that continuum there was in uh like a sales uh course that we were doing going okay. through yeah you know and they're basically they're talking about you know you have to develop the verbiage and, and the ways that you you know overcome objections and those sorts of things it has to be on that same sort of process mm -hmm. you know when you get to that point where you're unconsciously competent it's the same thing as like being able to tie your shoes there is no thought process. You just reach down and do it, and you could be thinking about six other things. Yeah. You know, um, you want to get to that level of mastery, just like you're saying, in in most things in life. Because when some situation happens, you are generally going to fail down to that lowest level of that competence. Mm -hmm. So having that, you know, having the, the stress inoculation and going through those things, having that experience rather than having it for the very first time when somebody's trying to kick in your door, yeah. that, you know, that's not the place you want to be. Nope. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, historically, one of the, one of the most interesting books that I find, it's kind of a, a dichotomy of, of it has everything you need, but at the same time, it has nothing you need is a uh, Miyamoto Musashi's book of five rings. Mm -hmm. I was first exposed to that when I was about 12 because ninjas were all the rage right. back in the early eighties. Well, mid eighties, 84 through like 1990 ninjas were amazing. And so, uh, my mom got me this book and it was way too deep for me. And it was only about 90 pages long. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I read that book about once a year because as I get older, there's so much more wisdom layered in there that I can't appreciate or recognize until I've reached another level of awareness. And right. so I challenge people, you need to find that style of book for yourself, mm -hmm. that style of class, because you'll think you've mastered something. And then if you have a, 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 a warrior's mindset, you'll recognize, you know, I teach this in my, my next level leadership course, um, there's these lessons that we talk about, uh, lesson one being extreme ownership, great book, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that, you know, how Navy SEALs lead and win. Uh, but the second one comes from one of my other mentors books, uh, U.S. Navy SEAL, The Art of War uh, by Rob Roy, amazing book, very mm -hmm. similar to Sun Tzu's Art of War. Mm -hmm. But Rob's idea is that you must have a servant's heart. So a warrior must have a servant's heart, uh, have integrity and act with integrity and humility. And so having a servant's heart is really important. And so most of the time when you find one of those books that's going to allow you 
to explore an idea and you're humble enough to come back and reread that book and recognize there's so much more wisdom there. Um, it's great to find instructors like that. It's great to find programs like that, uh, whether it's on YouTube, a podcast or something else, because mm -hmm. it allows you when you're ready to revisit that. And then you'll uncover another layer, another depth that you weren't aware was there. And it seems like at the right point in your life, that's what you need. For some people, that's the Bible. Uh, mm -hmm. For others, you know, might be a book from a subject matter expert. One of my personal favorites is Walt Disney and American Original, the only authorized biography of Walt Disney. And he was such mm -hmm. an inspirational, transformational leader of his time that when I reread that book through my own business troubles, I go, you know, Walt had a lot harder stuff than I did. And then I see right. something that he did. I go, hey, why have I never seen this before? So for me, there's certain books out there, Extreme Ownership, um, the Book of Five Rings, The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker, uh, you know, Inside the Magic Kingdom, Seven Keys to Disney Success, Walt Disney and American Original. That are those books that I have to be humble enough to come back and reread them, mm -hmm. and they will allow me to get to a new level of mastery in a new area of my life that mm -hmm. I never even considered because I was unconsciously incompetent about that. Right. Whether it's relationships, finance, uh, physical fitness, uh, something else. We should always have the humility to say, I'm not perfect. I need to improve. I'm unconsciously incompetent. I need to start that path right. to get to that fourth level of mastery. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent. I, I don't have a lot of books like that that, that, uh, that I kind of go back to. Um, but I've, I've, I make a habit of continually trying to learn more. So I'm, I'm always reading books. I study a lot of history because I feel like that's one of the biggest things that we lack as a society. We are so quick to forget the things that have come before, right? And by understanding that everything that we have, everything that we see right now is not necessarily new. It's just in a different form, Yeah. right? You know, the, the wisdom that exists has existed for thousands of years. The knowledge changes sure. decade to decade. Okay, we can make giant leaps forward in technology and knowledge, but wisdom is always consistent. It's sure. always going to be there. And if you're willing to pay attention to the wisdom that was you know, expressed however long ago you want to go back and understand that that still is true, you can learn so much from that and understand that you apply those things to life you can accomplish a lot and, and make your life better because you're willing to accept those lessons. Yeah. And that's, for me, books are really that resource mm -hmm. because I can have one with me. I can calm myself. I can separate myself from everything that's going on in life. And I take that opportunity to revisit a time when I read that book earlier and can see the parallels or the changes in my life of what's still the same and what's different what's more important to me now than what was important when i was younger you know when i was younger it was more about status and wealth and finding a mate and you know making something of myself and now it's cultivating my family and protecting them and uh developing the patience to deal with a little three-year-old boy because man i'm like oh my mom had four of us I, <laughs> I can't even imagine that right you know it's, it's one of those things that this is a new skill set being a father yeah. that i 
I can't read a book about it and be become right. proficient, but I have to I have to find resources that allow me. And it's difficult. It, it, it's difficult. And you know, right now I like to tell people uh, I'm still unconsciously incompetent when it comes to being a dad, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely trying to ramp up on that skill set as fast as possible. So for me, I found books allow us to gather that wisdom mm-hmm. and digest it at our own pace. One of the drawbacks with modern technology is it's it's easy to listen to a podcast like this and go, yeah, that ma- makes perfect sense. But when you have to interpret those words in your mind and actually stop and think about this, and this was one of the things that I learned early on through Miyamoto Musashi's writing, Mm -hmm. was he would tell the reader, you know, ponder upon this deeply. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something to just, I said it, move on. He wanted somebody to come back and think about this in as many different ways that they could. And for me, that's the wonderful thing about a book is I'll read it and I'll try to think about it from a different perspective, from a different class. Like if I was an artisan, what if I was a merchant and I was reading, what would I take back? Because, you know, that concept of pen and sword in a cord where the idea of an artisan and a warrior, they have to have that same mindset because they're going out to do battle uh, to correct injustices or doing something else. So in that business world, that's one of those concepts of pen and sword in accord. So it, when you place yourself into another class, it allows you to see a perspective that allows you to see that unconscious, you know, the unconscious incompetence. And so that's why I like about books is because mm-hmm. you can slow down and digest them at your own pace, but it requires that discipline and that time to separate yourself. Because when you're on the bus and you know you're trying to, you know, ignore everybody else and process information, it's tough. It really is almost a form of meditation. And in our modern world, nope, you're distracted by a million things. So I encourage people, hey, you know what? It's important. 30 minutes a day, disconnect, meditate, read a book, discover the past, discover wisdom, see what you would have thought at different ages about what's being presented to yourself. Mm -hmm. If that's hard, start with 15 minutes. You have to commit that time. You know, right now I find myself, the only time I really get to read is before my son wakes up, before the day starts. So I'll wake up right. at a good 4.30, 5 o'clock every day because that allows me that time. Would I love to sleep in? And my wife says, no, I don't like sleeping in. But I, I would enjoy it, but I have to make that commitment. Mm-hmm. You know, I call that the discipline of work. Every day we have to do three types of work. We have to have daily maintenance, you know, do things to keep my life in order. Mm-hmm. plan for a better future that's where books come in mm-hmm. and then a plan for a worst case scenario what happens if my family is attacked if there's a medical emergency we have to work the discipline of work requires us to address all three of those things even on days where i'm on vacation uh, you know last week uh, i was in disneyland with my family mm-hmm. and i would wake up before my son and wife would wake up and i would work out uh, because that's part of that commitment to that warrior lifestyle. I'd love mm-hmm. to stay in bed because you know we're at Disneyland until nine, ten o'clock. Walking around, you're exhausted. You get back, you just want to pass pass out. Nope. Uh, you know my body will wake me up at four thirty, five o'clock naturally without an alarm, and because it knows I have to get to work. I have to read my articles. I have to read my book. I have to write part of my book. Uh, you know I'm in the process of writing a book, Next Level Leadership. It's slow going right now. Uh, mm-hmm. The three year old is gets a lot more attention because <laughs> it's a lot more fun to play with Aries. Hey, let's let's play some sword fighting, uh, writing book. No, we're sword fighting. This is going to create better memories for me. But right. yeah, it's important to have that discipline of work so that we can 
conduct our daily maintenance, our fitness, our family relationships, our finances, maintenance of our home and where we live, mm-hmm. uh, plan for a better future. How am I going to improve my life? I talk to so many young people who don't see a path to success. They're just so stressed out about where the world is going. And I said, well, what's your plan to get there? And they say things like, well, I'm hoping I can graduate college. Well, that's not a plan. That, right. That's a, that's a hope. Hope is not a strategy. It's, it's not. So show me your plan in writing. You know, I, I conduct a fun little exercise every three to five years. Uh, it's a very simple exercise. It's in the front of every notebook. I carry a, a journal that every week I verify what I'm doing. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like on the fr- very front page, every three to five years, there's a new life plan there. And it's a very simple, simple idea. The first thing that I do is I document uh, 10 things that I would like to accomplish or things that I want. We live mm-hmm. in a material world. Right. And so, you know, as I go through there, there are things like, uh, I want to be able to maintain my team one qualification fitness when I'm 50 years old. Today I'm 49, I'll be 50 next year. And, you know, part of that goal is to lose weight. I'm doing, you know, so far I've lost 12 pounds, trying to get, get that goal going because I want to be in better shape when I'm 50 than when I, I've been earlier. Things like uh, take Aries to Disneyland, uh, take my family on a Disney cruise. You know, we used to be really big Disney fan. For all of you guys who hate the Mouse House right now, I completely am with you. <laughs> we have not renewed our annual passes. They've gone too woke. That's all I'm going to say about that. So please don't hold our previous love for the Walt Disney Company. Walt was a big inspiration to me because of that. I love the company, but I recognize their politics have changed significantly. So mm-hmm. please stay my friends. Um, <laughs> but. I put those things that I want to accomplish. You know, one of those things that I'm proud of was get new floors. It doesn't sound like a big accomplishment, mm-hmm. but I sat down and then I started doing the action plan of what it would take to get new floors. Get quotes from people, go to the stores, pick out stuff, set aside the money, and you know, our floors will be done in two weeks. I'm very excited about this nice. because <laughs> in that life plan, Every three to five years, I get to revise that. One of the things that was on there was to build, uh, a couple of years ago, was to build and maintain my own indoor tr- tactical training facility. We had an mm-hmm. outdoor one. I got tired of working in the sun in Arizona. So now I have Site Alpha. That didn't happen by luck. It's because there was a life plan. The other parts of that are three places that I would like to visit. So if I'm given the opportunity, take that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then three people that I admire. Mm-hmm. On the list right now uh, is Mr. Walt Disney, mm-hmm. uh, Jocko and Life from Extreme Ownership, uh, and then uh, Rob Roy, uh, former U.S. Navy SEAL, SEAL Team 6, author of uh, U.S. Navy SEAL Art of War. He's been a personal mentor. So. The people that uh, I admire, I use them as templates of what I should seek out in life. That's why those books that I recommend come right. from those guys because, you know, even though I may not have a personal relationship with the, the authors of Extreme Ownership, um, I can learn a lot from their wisdom. Right. I do have a personal relationship with Rob, and so it's talking to him and bouncing ideas off of him. And, you know, when he told me, write your own book, that's pretty serious stuff. So, you know, mm-hmm. I have to start that process. So it is, it is a good thing to have that life plan and that life plan then dictates that discipline of work, that plan for a better future. Right. You have to then have the action plan to get the things that's on page one. Because <laughs> right. if you're not doing that plan for a better future, you're not going to get the things you want on page one. And so yeah. I tell everybody, if, if you ever want to see my, uh, my, 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 my planner, okay, my life plan mm-hmm. and my weekly action plan. You can see if you open up, you'll see what's going on in my life. You'll, you'll see plan for a better future, resort marketing plan, you know, daily maintenance, work out, mm-hmm. 
vacuum car. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Get car in for oil change. That's daily maintenance. Things that are important to our life. But that plan for a better future, um, most people don't know how they're going to get there. And Mm -hmm. I tell them, decide what you want out of life. Put it down in writing. Mm -hmm. And that plan for a better future, that's where you create an action plan. Figure out the steps that you're going to need to make. And if you don't know you're unconsciously incompetent. Talk to somebody who's walked that path. That's why I talk about mentors. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, one of the things that I, that I tell our members, I try to mentor people who want to improve their lives, whether it's through physical fitness or starting a business, getting out of debt. And I try to listen to them. I try mm-hmm. to help them create an action plan, but I'm not gonna do the work for them. And that's right. one of the, the drawbacks to that is people say like, nothing's working. I'm like, well, have you been doing this? Ah. Uh, no, but uh, I've been thinking a lot about it. Well, yeah. that's good, but you actually have to take action steps, and those come from the action plan. If you don't mm-hmm. write it down, there's nothing, there's no steps you can do. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now, and you know, right. what one of the tools that I utilize. And, you know, uh, I write a blog on aztacticaladventures.com. There's a blog section that documents a lot of these ideas. So people, mm-hmm. And those are parts of the book that I'm writing. I put them up as blog entries right. so that I can see them in writing and get feedback from people and eventually compile them all together and it'll be a book. Right. At least that's the theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right on. Uh, so as far as like uh, AZ Tactical Adventures, do you have kind of the, that same process of like where the company is going to go from here, like other things you're gonna be adding to it or how it's gonna grow? So yeah, um, right now there's there's three directions the, pl- the path can go. And so I, I jokingly tell people, I'm very comfortable and happy where I'm at. Mm-hmm. If this is where it stopped and I got to spend the rest of my life uh, raising my son and spending weekends training local friends and family and, and working with tourists from out of town, it'll be a good life. Right. And so sometimes I think to myself, you know what? It's so it's okay to not want more. This is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Then there's the hybrid plan that tells me I'd like to build a bigger facility again. So you know, one of the things mm-hmm. I'm looking at is what's called Site Bravo, uh, and I'll explain why the the concept of Site Bravo, which would be a six six to eight thousand square foot training facility that would allow more space, multiple levels of structures instead of just mm-hmm. a single floor which allows the business to grow and do more exciting things within that structure. So mm-hmm. more things like a workout space, um, more tactical training classrooms, virtual reality simulators, mm-hmm. things like that. So the Site Bravo concept is is in the works right now. You know, I have one more year on the lease of this facility. I absolutely love it. So I'm thinking about how can I run both a Site Alpha and a Site Bravo. And then there's the franchise option where when I built Site Alpha, one of the big motivators was to build a prototype, a proof of concept Mm -hmm. of a location that could be franchised out to other people who were interested. And so when I talked to the franchising companies that would help me get those documents prepared, one of the things they said is, do you have a proof of concept? And at the time I said, no, because it's still an idea. And they said, you should definitely build it and see what it costs, the operational guidelines, everything there. And so, you know, a couple years ago, when when COVID was coming to an end and I built Site Alpha two years ago, the idea was the franchising model. I almost started doing the, the next location in Las Vegas, but I discovered the time away from my son and family being mm-hmm. back and forth between those two locations was, was going to be tough. So I decided to postpone that until he's a little bit older that I can have conversations with him about 
dad's going to Las Vegas. I'll be gone for three days, but I'll be back. Right now, I can tell when I leave, he doesn't know if I'll ever come back again. He's right. starting to figure out the word work means dad will be back. But yeah. I wouldn't want him to think I'm going to work and not come back for several days. Yeah. Create abandonment issues. But So the plan is currently right now, maintain site alpha. Site Bravo's being developed. I've got the floor pens, the ideas, the finances to put that together. And then... Um, develop the franchise option that Las Vegas would be the next location I would own. I'd love to get one set up in Orlando, San Antonio. Uh, those are the four areas I'm interested in. Uh, so if you're listening and in a couple of years you're interested in doing your own indoor tactical training facility, uh, <laughs> I've done all the heavy lifting so you can just invest. Because if somebody would have told me a couple of years ago, like, hey, here's the prototype, here's the plan, just do this and you'll make a lot of money, I would be like, Sold. Yeah, I've yeah. Got, I don't have to go and experiment with this stuff. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to growing. First, New Vegas is so close. Second, Orlando, because I think Florida's a wonderful state. Uh, there's a lot of good things happening there. Mm -hmm. Like any state, it has its problem. But compared to a lot of places that I've visited, it has more promise. And I'm always looking for a better, brighter future. Right. And unfortunately, some of the things I see happening in Arizona, both politically and uh, you know, in terms of the the safety levels are not the direction that I'd like for them to go. Mm -hmm. I don't want to blame the influx on people from California, but it's your fault. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what the near term plan is for Arizona Tactical Adventures. You know, and I might just say, you know, forget it all. I'm just going to have fun with my friends, family, and keep this level of the business running. But knowing what Walt would do, uh, he was always moving forward. And mm -hmm. because I, I, I look up to him so much, I know that in the back of the, my, my mind, um, he, he worked until you know he passed away at the age of 66. And I, I would have loved to see what if he had accomplished if he had another 20 years. Mm -hmm. So if I'm given that much more time, I'd like to see what I'm able to accomplish in that time as well. Right. Uh, I think that even like you said, even if you didn't progress past the point where you are right now, what you have is such an amazing structure for people to come and Thanks. learn, like, uh, you know, to have fun, to, you know, have to the experience, you know, whether they stay or not, you know, um, the people that want to continue the training and be more serious about it, they actually have that avenue to do so. It's a resource, you know, yeah. you know, and I think that's important because part of why I say that is, is that I've taken other tactical classes, uh, with other companies and things like that. And the things that they consider level two or three, you know, advanced sort of courses aren't even reaching the level of what we do just in our regular, you yeah. know, team classes, you know? So it, I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily because they're not trying to provide the training and things like that. I think that they sort of, they underestimate what people are, are capable of. So they mm -hmm. spend a little too much time on zeroing the weapons and making sure that everything is set up correctly. And, and, and there's too much process and not enough learning, I think. Yeah, they, they learned it a certain way. Mm -hmm. It's that institutional inertia. They've been doing it a certain way for a certain amount of time, so they move in that same direction, mm -hmm. and they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And instead of exploring a new way of doing this, and this is one of the reasons when I when I do training along military units or law enforcement, and they hear civilians are doing advanced training like this, a lot of times they're in disbelief because they say they don't have the fundamentals or the background to do that. And uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm always a little bit surprised because at a certain point, they weren't law enforcement or military. But because they went through the long process, they don't realize that 
you know, I don't want to call it a life hack, but there's ways to accelerate learning. Mm -hmm. especially understanding how adults learn versus how younger people learn and having to build that discipline. Um, adults will be able to adapt to things much more quickly if they're given the opportunity to grow past what they're capable of doing because they'll push a little too far and they'll fail, but they're going to learn a lot from that failure. And mm -hmm. that's one of the big things that I do is I give people a chance to explore areas that they would not normally ever get a chance to do that. And so that failure accelerates that learning process right. instead of having their hand held and making sure they can do every little step. It's okay for people to fall down mm -hmm. and figure out that didn't work. What works for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, I, I personally am very proud of the, the programs and the systems that I've developed for education because, you know, having had to have trained government agencies for, you know, 15 years, people aren't motivated when you show up to a, a state capitol building to learn. Right. They're forced into training. But after a few hours, they realize this is different. We're having fun. Mm -hmm. We're doing scavenger hunts in a building that we show up every day and we've never noticed details like this before. They're right. seeing it from their guest's point of view and they understand mm -hmm. the importance of everything walks the talk. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone walks the talk, two of the lessons from uh, Inside the Magic Kingdom. And so changing the way adults learn is imperative to preparing people rapidly because mm -hmm. in our modern society, things change very quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. Within a year to two years, the technology that we considered so important becomes obsolete. And right. the way of doing things in business or for safety and security can also become very different. Certain fundamental truths and skills don't, but in terms of being able to protect yourself in uh, the legal environment and the political environment we find ourselves is pretty significant. And especially for law enforcement officers where they don't realize they are no longer being supported by the political figureheads that have been appointed through the electorate. Uh, and so subsequently these officers, you know, they spent 15 years of their career doing well and suddenly they are, they're, they're the, the undesirable element within society and they have to adapt very quickly. Otherwise mm. they'll, They'll, they'll be removed and their whole career will be destroyed. And it's the same thing for civilians. Um, industries are changing. Uh, right now I hear a lot about AI. Uh, I'm very fortunate uh, my brother's getting ready to retire from the military. He's been EOD, bomb tech, for close to 20 years. I'm super proud of him. He's done an amazing job with his career. He's pushing out to the civilian sector. But he's not taking what he's learned in the past and sitting on that. He's pushing into the virtual reality research de uh, department and he's working with AI to create ideas that are going to be used for training future soldiers. He's bought into that concept. We can't do things, train bomb techs the way we did right. before. Mm -hmm. We have to adapt this technology. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that if you find people are running classes the way they ran them 20 years ago, working on those fundamentals and mm -hmm. you're doing an eight hour day of that, Right. You're in the wrong environment. You need yeah. to get with somebody who can train you at your speed. And if that speed needs to be fast, do so. Right. Yeah, do so. There was a, a podcast that I listened to, and this was years ago. This was uh, Tim Ferriss. He was interviewing a guy named Derek Sivers. And he, the, there was a long story behind this. But the, but the general point was he had talked to a professor who was willing to teach him, take him on as, as a prodigy. And, and one of the very first things that he told him and this has stuck with me ever since, is that the standard pace is for chumps, okay? They create that pace because they have to, it's catering to the lowest common denominator, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So if that's the way that you want to proceed, 
by all means you can, but you're just wasting time. You know, if you are capable of moving faster and learning at an accelerated rate, by all means, that's what you should be doing. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a, it's a disservice to other people to try to hold them back and say, no, we have to go through this step by step by step mm-hmm. instead of saying, okay, we're going to do this. Do you got that? You got this. Okay. Let's move forward. You know, and you do an excellent job of that. Yeah, you know, not, I, I like to think I do. Yeah. That's, you know, that's great. I appreciate the compliment. That's, you know, not only do you help us like move through the steps faster and, and get to the point, you also help us find failure points in our equipment, yeah. in our movement and our, our communication, whatever those things are, you know, as uh, you know, as I'm running through the, the thing, you know, and there's pieces of equipment that I thought were pretty securely, you know, like a flashlight. I put it on, I tightened it, it should be good to go, right? No, as we're moving around and it gets bumped into things, you know, it loosens itself yeah. and now it's falling off. And I realized, no, I have to do more to secure mm-hmm. that equipment and make sure it's going to be functional when I need it to be functional. Yeah. You know, you don't find those failure points until you've put those things to the test. Correct. You know. And wasting time trying to even get to that point is not helping anybody. Yeah. yeah. So everybody has a limited amount of time because we all have the same amount of time. We choose how we're going to spend it or invest it. And so if you spend it doing things you're already good at, you're just reinforcing that that idea that you're prepared. If you spend it doing things that you're not good at, you're going to discover failure. And that's very uncomfortable for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they, they feel that uncomfortable, it's it's... It's a toxic environment, and most of us want to get out of that as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage people, you know, start a business. It's going to fail. Right. You're going to have to adapt that business, change it, find a new way of succeeding. You're going to have to come up with new resources. You're going to get into a relationship. You're going to get your heart broken. It's not going to work. Learn from that. Get back into a new relationship. Learn from that relationship. You know. You're going to have an idea of who you are and what you present to the world, and it's going to get challenged. Mm -hmm. And you will decide that you want the world's approval or that idea was so strong that you're going to be fine in that. And there's a lot of people right now that are seeking the world's approval so much that that idea of who they were, that integrity, um, that, that good person, they're willing to bend that uh, into something that's unrecognizable. And so you know, I, that's, that's one of the saddest things to see is that that failure, when you present yourself like, Hey, I'm a hardworking, honest person and the world rejects you. That's that equivalent of failure. Don't change that person to meet their narrative. That's one of those few areas that I tell people, you know, don't adapt to that message because that's the easy path, the discipline of war. Have a plan to get to where you want to go without having to compromise that, that servant's heart, that integrity, and be of service to others, mm-hmm. that humility. So being able to do that is, is more important than, than winning those accolades and that approval. And uh, through social media, especially right now, um, people are, I don't want to use the term brainwashed, but they're no longer thinking for themselves. They've decided that whatever the general consensus is... Um, I'm going to go along with that so that mm-hmm. I don't draw attention. And unfortunately, if you don't draw attention, you really won't be successful in, in business or in life right. because you, you'll, you'll be in the background of somebody else's show. And that's, that's too bad because it's, it's your life. You should mm-hmm. enjoy it and become the best that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's, it's hard. It's, yeah. it's an easy concept to understand, but it's hard to execute. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to the whole idea of history, if you look at people 
who have accomplished extraordinary things in their lives and really pay attention to like what their lives consisted of, you understand that they were willing to do whatever it was because it was important to them. They felt like it was something that needed to get done. And all of the things that happened in their lives, whether that was dealing with, you know, personal failures, dealing with things like depression or other illnesses, you know, any number of setbacks that would normally stop a person, they didn't allow those things to keep them from being who they needed to be. Yeah. You know? Yep. And that's, that's what's great about history is I don't care what, uh, what you want to accomplish. There's somebody that has walked a harder, more difficult, more successful path than we have. Mm-hmm. And if we ignore that and don't take advantage of their experience and uh, their success or their failures, um, it's, it's our lost opportunity. And so I personally think books, you know, videos can inspire you because, you know, there's the audio visual component to that. Um, so I don't care who your mentor or heroes are. That's why in that life plan, I say, choose three, mm-hmm. choose three. I remember for a while, uh, I was a big fan of Davy Crockett because just to be a legend bigger than life and to just have legends grow out from upon you and to work in public service, mm-hmm. a frontiersman, you know, to fight in different wars and just accomplish so much and, and just, you know, have movies and books written about you and be bigger than life. I was like, mm-hmm. that's, that's something that, you know, some of our modern civilization can't envision ever accomplishing that much stuff. Mm-hmm. But there are some amazing people out here, uh, you know, that are doing some good stuff just like that, that in a hundred years, people will be talking about those legends that exist today. And, right. and anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. It's just, yeah. it, it requires a little bit of uh, risk and a plan, or maybe in his case, sometimes not such of a good plan. <laughs> Yalbo sounds like right. a great place to go hold out. Yeah, that that's tough. That's yeah. tough. But you know what? Um, we're all gonna go. We just have to choose how 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 we're gonna face that end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that Davy Crockett used to be one of my uh, my favorite favorite uh, guys that I would read about and learn. Mm-hmm. And so that's good. That's yeah, for good me history. it was for me it was Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was just such an extraordinary person. You know, and he dealt with a lot of things. He, you know, as a young kid, he had crippling asthma. Mm-hmm. You know, he dealt with periods of vast, you know, like really deep depression, you know, a whole slew of other things that kind of came and went throughout his life. And yet he never stopped pushing for what he felt was was right and and working towards making the world a better place for having him in it. Yeah. You know, so I, I just think he's extraordinary. Yep. Man, yeah. that is one of those amazing individuals that you know became an american president you know war hero adventurer i mean that's bigger than life so you know that that is one of those guys so yeah Mm -hmm. so uh i want to be respectful of your time because i know it's a little bit late in the evening and you probably have other things to do so uh do you have any other uh things you want to throw out there uh yeah you know what um it's it's been fun chatting about this stuff I'd encourage listeners to, you know, find resources to, to make their, their lives where they want to go, whether, you know, it's tactical training, books, podcasts, uh, videos, things like that. Uh, but take the opportunity to challenge yourself, set a new goal, find a mentor that'll help you get there. And, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to myself, uh, any of my instructors at Arizona Tactical Adventures. 
check out the blog at aztacticaladventures.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it might inspire you and you might see some things there that you hadn't considered. If you just want to have a great time, uh, you know, we have some amazing deals at the Crossroads of the West Gun Show on memberships and programs that will start back up in July. I think it's the next gun show we're doing. Mm-hmm. Stop by the booth, say hi to me, you know, get a tactical tiki shirt. Uh, so <laughs> it'll let you come out to any of the tactical tiki <laughs> events for free. Uh, but you can also show up with a Hawaiian shirt. So, you know, I just want to thank you uh, for take, you know, taking your time, letting me share some of my points of view and some of my life experience. Because uh, it's nice to talk about it. Most of the time, I'm trying to teach people, and they don't want to hear the same stories. So, you know, right. it, it's it's a good experience. So, I, I appreciate your time as well. Absolutely. Uh, and this is sort of the final note that we always end on. What's your best dad advice? Mm-hmm. To other dads or to my son? Yes. So for both. <laughs> uh, to other dads, patience. That is the thing that I find I don't have enough. When things feel like it is going wrong, step back, collect your breath, take a walk, go to the movies. Mm -hmm. The wounds we leave upon the hearts of our loved ones are, are so hard to erase and to heal. So for, for me, that is the thing that I am, I am so desperately trying to work upon Mm -hmm. because I expect so many good things in life that sometimes I get frustrated when something small goes wrong that I really have to focus on patience. Right. Just accept what it is and that it's not out of something of spite that's gone wrong. And so it's okay to calm down and, and get back to life. So if I had to give a piece of advice to my son, um, I would say have a servant's heart. Always work with integrity and humility, and you'll have a good life regardless of that because at the end of it, you'll be able to say that you've been a servant to others. There you go. That is an amazing note to end on. So, again, thank you for your time. I uh, will always be back for more training, and uh, I will talk to you more soon. Very good. All right. Take care, brother. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Also, you can now support the Non-Victim Nation by donating via listener support directly on Spotify. Remember, the story of your life is being written right now, and you are the hero.